everyone. Welcome to worship this morning and for those who are joining us online as well. This Sunday is often called Palm and Passion Sunday because this Sunday is the beginning of the end of this most significant chapter of the story of what Jesus came to do for us. And this week called Holy Week will take us from the crowds who are hailing Jesus with shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to crowds who are calling for his death, crucify him. And this week reflects so much about our human nature, how quick we are to lose hope, and how violently we can react to our loss of hope. And yet this story of undeserved grace that we see in the face of Christ as we walk with him in these steps to the cross, we see a greater hope than any we could ever create for ourselves. As a kid, I always loved Palm Sunday because I got to wave the palm branches and walk up and down the aisles at church and yell, Hosanna! I had no idea what it meant, but it was fun. And I got swept up in it, and probably like a lot of those kids on that first Palm Sunday. But the most memorable for Palm Sunday for me was actually Sunday, April 16th, 2000, in Ngandare, Cameroon, West Africa. I was on a musical ministry team that year, and I had been worshiping that morning at an English-speaking church called the Cross and Crown. And when worship was over, the pastor said, we're not done yet, follow me! And everyone else seemed to know what was happening, so I just followed. We all poured into the street, and we joined a parade of people who were already marching, waving our palm branches and singing Hosanna songs in English, French, and tribal languages. And thankfully, the word Hosanna is the same in all of those. And the amazing thing was, whenever we passed by a Christian church on the route, they would hear us singing, and the doors would burst open, and the whole congregation would pour out to join us waving their own palm branches, church after church, street after street, a constantly growing living stream of praise. And you know how it is when you're walking in a, a long line. The people in front of me were singing something different than the people in back of me and in a different language most of the time. It was a cacophony of praise with palm branches and hosannas. And Ngandare is a town evenly split between Muslims and Christians. So as we marched, our Muslim neighbors on the sidelines who were going about their business seemed to bear a slightly amused witness to this lively parade. Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Bright colors, people of all ages, kids running, elders walking with canes, palm branches waving. It was pure joy. And then something changed. I could see something was happening up ahead. The procession line was actually going somewhere to the soccer stadium, which was the largest gathering place in town. And we were all processing to the middle of the field where stood a 40-foot cross. And everyone sang and waved their palm branches and shouted Hosanna until they reached the cross. The moment each person came face to face with the cross, they suddenly stopped and they dropped their palms and they turned their backs, and they walked away, silent, scattered, solitary, all in different directions, not even looking back. And it was startling. It was jarring, somewhat eerie. My heart started to pound just watching it happen over and over again. And the closer I got to the cross, the more my own hosannas died on my lips. And then, in the oppressive heat, with the roar of voices of many unknown languages in my ears, I was standing alone in front of the cross, facing the reality of what Jesus had faced for me. And as I let the palm branch fall from my hand to the ground, as I turned my back 
to walk away with each step that I took from that stark symbol of Jesus' sacrifice for me, something in here broke. And an ache rose up in my heart. And I thought, this is how it is, Jesus. This is what we do. We wave palm branches celebrating that you came to save us. But when the time came for you to pay the price, to suffer the cost, to enter into the shame, everyone turned away. We all turn away. We turn away our eyes from your suffering. And still you chose to walk that road for us. For all those who abandoned you, for all those who yelled out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. For those who cried, crucify him. You finished the work alone for me. And halfway around the world in that soccer stadium, eerily transitioning from a joyful community parade to so many silent, scattered wanderers, I knew the love of Jesus for me and for each one of us scattered sinners. The heartbreaking, terrible love that mourned for the hard hearts of the crucifiers. And yet who loved enough still to be the one who saves us all. How quick we are to move from rejoicing to rejection. And I don't think we're all that different from those first crowds who moved from Hosanna to crucify. I actually think the past few years have brought this particular tendency of our human sinfulness into an even starker focus. Our tendency to protect ourselves by immediately turning away from rejecting anyone or anything in our lives that appears to be broken. Which in the end leaves us all scattered and alone. Hosanna, Lord, save us. I read an article recently from an online psychology magazine called The Surprising Dark Side of Empathy. And it revealed how empathy, feeling as your own pain, the pain of others, actually triggers in your brain a similar distress to theirs. Empathy leads you into a place where you, in a very bodily way, carry an imitation of another's pain in a way that you imagine them to be feeling it. You feel it in your body. And of course, there's only so much of this that one person can handle <laughs> to take on the pain and stress of another person's situation, which you, of course, not being them, cannot change. A surprising dark side of empathy, this article stated, emerges when, overwhelmed by the distress of others, your mind, body, and emotions tend to pull hard into a self-protective mode of creating a protective us-versus-them divide. It's a fight-or-flight response to push away from the source of this pain, to distance ourselves from that threat. Push, fight, distance, flight. And the more empathetic distress we experience, the more severe our reaction of distancing ourselves can become. Our reaction of setting them apart from us can actually result in a violent emotional or physical rejection of the other without us even really understanding why the surprising dark side of empathy. The truth is, we are too finite in our being to be able to handle feeling all the pain of others around us as well as our own. But we're not actually called to live in the pain of others. We're called to walk alongside others, whether in joy or in pain, in the grace and presence of the only one who can know their every thought and every emotion, their Savior. And while empathy certainly can open our eyes to things we need to learn about one another's experience, the path that we are called to walk daily in our lives as Christians is actually the path of compassion, 
which turns out is different than empathy because it triggers a different part of the brain entirely. Compassion comes from the care and love center of the brain. And this region of the brain is triggered rather than absorbing your pain as mine, your experience as mine, and thus becoming immersed and perhaps overwhelmed by the problem right next to you. Compassion is a reaction that comes from a self that's not altered by the other's experience, but reacts to them from one's own center. Compassion sees the self and the other as separate experiences, but recognizing the common humanity in the other responds to the other. Because this person's experience is not mine, I have a love I can give this person. I recognize my love will not solve their struggle or end their suffering. I simply wish to bless them alongside them in what I can do in this moment. For the Christian, it's the recognition that we ourselves are not the light, but we know who is. And so we share what we can of what he shows us about his love. Because the truth is, there is one who came to bear all of our pain bodily in his own being. There is one whose love will be, in the end, the eternal solution to every broken human need. And just as we know we are not the other, we also know we are not him. So we are called to respond out of compassion alongside the passion of Jesus' love. There's something about this article about the dark side of empathy that really resonated with me. And I think it's because we're in this season where there's so much hurt in the world around us. And stress has seemed to be heightened everywhere. And along with this stress, there has been more of the polarizing us versus them than I'd seen before. More voices quick to judge and condemn the mistakes of others. A hurt that causes hurt. A pain that causes pain. And when we try to absorb the hurts of the world ourselves, or we try to become the hope of the world ourselves, we find we cannot sustain that crushing weight. And in desperation, we desperately look to find someone else who can be the solution, and we're quick to want to crown them the hero so we can step aside. And the crowds of Palm Sunday saw that kind of solution in the Messiah that had come. They saw in Jesus one who would solve their problems, especially the problem of the Roman army's occupation of their people. The son of David come to recreate the glory days of David's rule for us, to vanquish our enemies and help us retake our power. Save us, Jesus, from them. Save us for us. And once they are silenced, then we'll finally have our peace. And if Jesus had been in any way interested in that kind of victory, this would have been the time he would have grasped it. Grasped the scepter, engaged in the coup, power-changing hands with the surge of the people's demand. But instead, in Luke 19, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace... But now it is hidden from your eyes, hidden from our eyes. But Jesus sees all too clearly that human beings always seem to try to find our peace by conquering one another or being the most right or holding the most power or claiming the victory. Jerusalem means city of peace, and yet in all its history it's been anything but. A place of constant warring over righteousness, who and what is righteous and what and who is not where peace for one always seems at the, to come at the cost of the suffering of another. But looking over this city that day, Jesus saw it 
all too clearly that only his freely chosen suffering, the suffering of the Son of God, would bear the price for peace for all those who would be the sinful cause of such suffering. Only the true righteousness of his sacrificial love could cover all the unrighteousness of a broken world. And for those who were clamoring for war, he says, if you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. And it was. And when Jesus failed to deliver the us versus them victory they were seeking, when they saw the Messiah they had hoped would lead the coup that would put them back in power, now instead beaten, bloody, and crowned with thorns by the very enemies they hoped he would be the one to defeat for them. He who had been at the center of the us, now in their fury became the center of all otherness, the one pushed away from us, as we push away all pain from the failures and frailty of all broken humanity that inevitably lets us down. And to the one to whom they'd cried, save us, you are the one who saves. Now they cry, crucify him, crucify. Get him out of our sight. Silence him. Maybe then we'll have our peace. And so we, like them, quickly turn to condemn and judge and dismiss and distance ourselves from those who we consider to be wrong or broken or unimportant to our cause, all in the name of the defense of our own righteousness. While the righteous one himself turns toward the broken, takes on himself the burden of fear and pain and loss, turns toward those in the dark. Where we reject, where we turn away, Jesus enters in. He walks into the darkness because he is himself the light. And that's where the light is needed most. As the prophet Isaiah foretold of the Messiah 600 years before Jesus' birth, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, beloved, there is only one who can truly take on the pain of the sin of the world. He is the one who, with no sin of his own to bear, came into the world for just this purpose, to be the burden bearer. Who, in the passion of God for his broken people, in order that his compassionate grace might be made whole by his love, we might be made whole by his love, by his righteousness, given the gift of his righteousness. And so he rode into Jerusalem, the city of peace, not on a war horse like the conquering kings, or on his own two feet like he usually traveled, but humbly on the undignified mount of a donkey, signifying to all who knew the words of the prophet Zechariah just what kind of Messiah that he comes to be from Zechariah 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken, and he will proclaim peace 
to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Jesus comes to be the savior of every people, to end the warring of human hearts, to be himself our peace. Through the blood of his covenant, he will free the prisoners from whatever bare and dry and dusty pit that has become our own isolating prison. He will be our hope, and in that hope, unite us. If only we knew what would bring us peace. But so often, so often, it is hidden from our eyes. But this week, this holy week, is the time to open them. It's when we intentionally take time to stop and stand ourselves before the cross of Jesus and remember and to ask the very real questions of what our hearts are crying out for. Hosanna means Lord save us and you save us. It's both a plea and the recognition of a reality. You are the one who saves. So as you pick up your palms today, as rejoice to see Jesus entering in humility and quiet strength and compassionate love, as you call out to him, Hosanna, Jesus, you are the one who saves. What is it you're really asking him to save you from? What do you need rescuing from, beloved? What do you long to be rescued for? What is the dry and barren pit where you've been finding yourself lately. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Because of the blood of his covenant with you, he will restore twice as much to you. In him, hope is what becomes inescapable. He comes to be that kind of savior. And because he does, we can come to him even when in our fear we begin to think that what is true is that we really need to save ourselves. Where in a world full of so many different voices, we can start to imagine that peace can only come by silencing or putting to death those things that might actually speak to our own vulnerabilities. And sometimes that becomes an internal violence at war in ourselves. Sometimes it becomes an external one at war with others. But in trying to seek peace from that route, we actually enter into battles we were never meant to fight. This battle belongs to the Lord. And when fear drives us and the sins that are committed against us and the sin committed by us, we don't want to deal with it. We just want to crucify, forever silence them. We'd rather lash out than reach out. But hurt cannot heal hurt. And inflicting pain does not heal our pain. But when we look to the cross, when we're startled enough to open our eyes, we begin to see just how loved we are by the one who saves Because even as you cry out, crucify, beloved, Jesus has already seen what you're reacting to. He already sees your real need. He has already prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's already taken it on, our fear, our failure, our frailty, the worst of all that we fear of ourselves. He's taken it. He carries it in his own body, and he himself has put it to death with the sacrifice of his own life, 
So in the blood of his covenant with you and the new life that he steps into victorious beyond this day, you too can begin again with him a new story. His grace is the lifeline you need to lift you out of the waterless pit. And this becomes the road that we walk over and over and over again where we see this word Hosanna. Lord, save us. You are the one who saves. is in itself a beautiful description of what it looks like to live our lives with him in his compassionate love. So this week, beloved, no matter what the cry of your heart is right now, from Hosanna to crucify, do not turn away from his face. See in the beautiful compassion of his grace what he has done, what he is doing, what he will always do for you. And trust him enough to leave your burden at his cross. For he comes to be the one who saves. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, this holy week, as we cry out to you for your saving, as in fear we yell out, crucify, we ask, Lord, that you would give us the wisdom to bring it all to the foot of your cross. And today, we don't turn away. We don't turn our backs, Jesus. Not this time. This time, may we realize all that your sacrifice has crucified for us so that your love may save us. This Holy Week, teach us to see you, Jesus, for who you are. The one who chose to walk into the darkness, into death, so that we may truly walk in the hope of your grace. Lord, may we see what makes for peace. May it not be hidden from our eyes. Help us to see you and in your love to truly see one another. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.